It's fun. I'm not getting to start preaching. Can I share a couple things just real quickly? If you are in that section back there, no, you don't get door prizes. But we've got different lights. Did y'all tell about that? I wasn't in here. Did, did they tell about it? This morning? No. Okay. So we've got some different lights because you can see that drop that come down out of the canister instead of up in the canister, and they cast a lot of lumens. And it's been dark on that back row, but we've been having some work done here at the church, and so they had a lift because you just don't go and change these lights that are in these 30-foot ceilings. Um, I mean, you need a Batman pole to go up and down on that one, too, and we just don't do it. So uh, while we had them here, they went ahead and put those in, and we're looking at possibly, and then maybe something we can dim just a little bit. But it is bright. It's bright back there on you guys. It's bright on my eyes as I, I'm preaching here today. So if you got any uh, feedback, you can tell Jace. <laughs> and such. So again, I appreciate so much you being in service with us today. If you're a visitor, we do thank God that you've chosen to be here. And I, I concur with Joe. I really believe God that this fall, we're just believing that this fall is going to be a tremendous fall here at Hebrew First Assembly. And uh, that people are, our people are realizing they need God in their life. And they need the live stream of the local church, right, to help you develop your relationship with God. Churches are different. Churches have different um, convictions, different, I want to say, callings. We all have some measure of similar callings, but certainly God has given distinct uh, purposes and things that when people come together, there's different expectations that are created. And there's an expectation that is within the, uh, what we call the spirit-filled movement that sometimes differs a little bit from other uh, denominations. We're going to read a couple verses of Scripture today that's going to help highlight that. We're going to remain seated for 14 verses of Scripture reading, and then we'll stand for two verses. So I'm going to go to Second Chronicles first. Lord, it's out of order, but I'm going to go ahead and do that to make that a little bit easier on our congregation today. Again, thank you for being here. Again, a visitor, if you did not fill out a visitor card, please take a moment to do so, because we would like to have a record of your visit with us. You know, I preached last week in the same context. I'm there again today. Um, the text here in Second Chronicles is um, at the dedication of the house of the Lord as Solomon, and I'll expound upon it here in a moment. Solomon, the son of David here, um, has been chosen by God to build the house of God, and this passage here shows what that very first worship service was like. So let's read this together. Thus all the work that Solomon made for the house of the Lord was finished. And Solomon brought in all the things that, his father, that, that David, his father, had dedicated. And the silver and the gold and all the instruments put he among the treasures of the house of God. Then Solomon assembled the elders of Israel and all the heads of the tribes, the chief of the fathers of the children of Israel unto Jerusalem to bring up the ark of the covenant of the Lord out of the city of David, which is Zion. Wherefore, all the men of Israel assembled themselves unto the king and the feast, which was in the seventh month. And all the elders of Israel came, and the Levites took up the ark. And they brought up the ark and the tabernacle of the congregation, and all the holy vessels that were in the tabernacle. These did the priests and the Levites bring up. Also, King Solomon and all the congregation of Israel that were assembled unto him before the ark sacrificed sheep and oxen which could not be told nor numbered for multitude. 
And the priests brought in the ark of the covenant of the Lord unto his house, or unto his place, to the oracle of the house, into the most holy place, even under the wings of the cherubims. For the cherubims spread forth their wings over the place of the ark, and the cherubims covered the ark and the staves thereof above. And they drew out the staves of the ark, which is the wooden uh, staff, if you will, or stave that they carried the ark in or with, that the ends of the staves were seen from the ark before the oracle, but they were not seen without. And there it is unto this day, here the writer says. There was nothing in the ark save the two tables which Moses therein at Horeb, Moses put therein at Horeb when the, when the Lord made a covenant with the children of Israel when they came out of Egypt. Now verse 11 says, And it came to pass that when the priests were come out of the holy place, for all the priests that were present were sanctified and did not then wait by course. Also the Levites, which were the singers, of, which were the, let me get my, I lost my spot for it, which were the singers, all of them of Asaph and Heman. I didn't know Heman was here, but uh, Jejuthun, <laughs> Jejuthun with their sons and their brethren being arrayed in white linen, having cymbals and psalteries and harps, stood at the east end of the altar, and with them an hundred and twenty priests sounding with trumpets. It came to pass, as the trumpeters and singers were as one, to make one sound to be heard in praising and thanking the Lord. And when they lifted up their voice with the trumpets and cymbals and instruments of music and praised the Lord, saying, For he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. Let's read that again. Saying, For he is good, for his mercy endureth forever that then the house was filled with a cloud, even the house of the Lord, so that the priests could not stand to minister by reason of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord had filled the house of God. Man, isn't that powerful? All right, now we're going to drop back to First Chronicles chapter 29. We're going to add two verses of Scripture here to it that are particular and they are part of this, even though it's separated by several years, because the, the labor of one generation helps empower, come on somebody, the successes of a following generation. Once you stand up with me, we'll read two verses of Scripture here to conclude the reading of Scripture. We do this to honor the Word of God, and that not that correct? Tradition. How I many know tradition can be a negative thing, but it can also be a very good thing as well? Furthermore, David the king said unto all the congregation, that's you, Solomon, my son, whom alone God hath chosen, is yet young and tender, and the work is great. So remember, this is several years before what we just read. For the, the work is great, for the palace is not for man, but for the Lord God. Man, that's powerful, isn't it? Let's read this fifth verse here today. Now, the gold for things of gold, this is what contributions were made from the house of David, and the silver for things of silver, and for all manner of work to be made by the hand of the, of the artificers, I suppose, that's how we pronounce that. And who, listen to this, though. This is a question here that David is posing 
to the congregation that he's speaking to. Who then is willing to consecrate his service this day unto the Lord? Isn't that powerful? So I want to talk to you today, and I told him we would entitle this, Consecrated Service. That's what's on my heart today, Consecrated Service before the Lord. So can we pray and add our faith to what Joe prayed, that preaching would come easy in this house? Will we do that right now? Lord, I'm so honored to be here. I feel so inadequate and feel, Father, so incapable. If it wasn't for the anointing of God that I know that can rest on me, I, I would shy away right now to speak to such a great host of people, Father, and to bring to them the Word of God, it's going to take the anointing of God. Father, and for some, they don't understand what I mean by that, but many others do, that the Spirit of the living God, Father, will quicken this Word and make it alive in our hearts today. And that's our hope. Bring each of us to a place of consecrated service. In Jesus' name, and all God's children said, Amen. You can be seated. Thank you. Before I advance into even arriving at the place where this text was, I want to say a couple things first, just tell you how much I appreciate you as a church family and your love for each other, your love for God, your love for the house of God. And if I don't say it enough, what an honor it is to be the pastor of this assembly and to join with other pastors who care, carry a, a similar DNA and spiritual DNA and calling and to, uh, to live life with expectation. What a sad place it is when you've lost all expectation. We just always believe the best is yet to come. Even when it's good, right? It's sometimes the church is good and life is good, but there's always room for more of his goodness and his grace. And so if I can take you back to last week's message for a moment of time, it will help us to understand where I'm going with this today. You know, looking back, I got a little bit excited on the beginning of my message because I took us back into the inclusion of the Gentiles, which was really not a part of the text, because I was preaching about by course, by course, which is simply that David had gained a revelation about the priests and the Levites serving in the tabernacle initially, but, but definitely and primarily when the temple was erected. And uh, I, was, I was using the, the, the inclusion of the Gentiles to the to the point that as a believer, I can look to the Word of God. I have all right. I have all rights and privileges the same way that Jesus. So you remember when I mentioned Jesus walking through the fields with his disciples, taking grain, and Jesus validated the actions of his disciples by going to the Word and say, did you not remember what David did? Do y'all remember that at all? And, and so... What I was trying to do was saying, as I'm praying about, you know, some shifting and changes in our church family, you know, I have the right and the privilege to look at what David did and gain insight from it. David said that the hand of the Lord was upon me when he received the pattern for the temple. The tabernacle pattern was given to Moses on Mount Sinai. And he didn't have to ponder it. The Lord, in the 40 days that Moses stood in the presence of God, uh, the Lord told him, make the tabernacle this, make it this size, cover it with badger skins, cover it with these type of skins. Uh, this is your priest. These are your Levites. All of this. David gains a greater uh, and further revelation of the role of the priests, the Levites, and also the temple and the pattern, the size and the shape, the structure, what it's going to, the materials of 
the temple. And uh, the, the, the point that was in my heart was is that as our church family experiences growth or regrowth and going back to the sermon I preached about three weeks ago about put it back, when you put something back and we kind of move away from that where we had kind of slowly drifted to because of COVID, we've got to have more people serving in this body than are serving presently. Because if they thank you, Aaron, from our children's church pastors over there, that was a very well-timed him and sister uh, uh, Chelsea, uh, very well-placed amen. And because when you start adding time slots to church, that means you have to add people to not just have the spirit of Mary on them. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? You know, I thank God for Mary. I thank God for Mary wanting to kneel at the feet of Jesus and just soak in the Lord's presence. I thank God for that. But you know what? You can give me a couple Marthas along the way, too, that will roll their sleeves up, might get a little frustrated every now and then. But I'll tell you what, they'll get work done in the kingdom of God. And so it's kind of a balance. It's an ebb and flow. And so the, the, the heart, my heart is, is that David, though, had insight, spiritual insight, to establishing courses amongst the priests and the Levites, which the text there that we read said the priests were not yet serving by course because the number of them had not grown adequately to allow for them to serve by course. Course meant by order, that this group served. And I told you last week that they served for typically all the feasts, which were three feasts annually. They were like revival meetings. But they would, they would serve uh, two weeks out of the year, the Levites were. So there was a rotate. in essence, it was a rotational schedule so that nobody got locked into it to the degree that frustration, because when you're doing something that others could help you do, I'll tell you what, you'll come out of the kitchen like Martha with your apron on and flour all over you and you're just frustrated and you're like, Jesus, you better get that girl up and get her in here to help me a little bit. And we don't want people serving like that, right? If we can head it off in advance and we can get people to carry a passion and see the value of corporate worship, then, then I believe that we won't arrive there because people will already discern within themselves that, hey, I need to be involved. Now, as we go into the text, let's transition. So that was last week. That's kind of catching up. We're going to come back to this in a moment of time. So the text we were at here, we know this by just study, that David had been forbidden to build the temple. He had a desire to be the, build the temple. Let me know sometimes your desire is not always within line with God's sovereign will. And when God diverts you another direction, you need to do that with as much passion as if the thing that you hoped that you would get to do. Does that make sense? David then, when he was forbidden to build the house, spent the latter end of his life gathering resources and laying up for the generation to come. Solomon became the king, and uh, he spent about four years of his initial reign in building the house. And, and I think it was about, a set, the house took about seven years total in building. It was a combined effort of hired workers, servants, priests, Levites, even skilled workers from other areas. And at the conclusion of the building, which and when they refurbished that temple, or when they were refurbishing the temple, it included new worship instruments. It was an enlarged altar. If you know anything about how the Israelites worshiped, there was a brazen altar, a large brazen altar. There was a laver for the priests to wash in. All of these were, were enlarged and during the days and during the temple era that Solomon builds. And Solomon then fetched, we read that in the text, they fetched, that's King James English, that's also hill country English, 
right? The instruments of the tabernacle, including the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant was central to the people of Israel because it was there that God had promised Moses. Anyway, most of you are familiar with the Ark of the Covenant. It's just about a three-foot by four-foot box made of acai wood overladen with gold with cherubims on either side. And it was there that God had promised Moses that his glory, his presence, the awesome presence of a living God would literally sit on the mercy seat. The children of Israel during the days of the tabernacle would occasionally see it. And they couldn't see it in its fullest, but they would see the, temp- the tabernacle and the glory of it come out. They called it the Hebrews, they called it the Shekinah. It's the glory of God. And so Solomon was successful in relocating the ark without failure the way his father David had done when they failed at the threshing floor of Aruna the Jebusite. We are familiar with that text of scripture as well, I believe it is. And, and so Solomon, because he learned from the previous generation, how many of you know you should learn from the previous generations? That what's right and also what's wrong. Solomon, without incident, successfully moves the Ark of the Covenant into the place behind the veil in the most holy place. And so Scripture is very clear in telling us that the contents of the Ark previously had the manna, a bowl of manna from the Exodus uh, journey, and also Aaron's rod that budded. But now it only contains the Ten Commandments, which is the Word of God. So again, the Scripture notes that the priests not yet are serving by course, but the Levites are. And so the, the, the text that we were, we were reading there in 2 Chronicles chapter 5 is again the dedication of the house of God. It's the very first worship service from the transitional worship that had been being conducted in the tabernacle and from the tent that David had pitched there at Mount Zion to the actual, the actual temple mount where God had said, that's the place where I'm going to put my name at. And so the scripture then in that text told us it kind of just began to highlight some of the things that began to take place. So Solomon then with men, men, especially men that were in the Levitical priesthood that have spent time preparing themselves, Solomon chose 120 worshipers, Levites with a trumpet. And so that when they were placing the ark in the house of God, kind of as the final act, that as they were placing that ark, the trumpeters began to sound, and the, music, the musicians came to, to an apex, it came together in, a, in, in symphony in that moment of time, that when that happened, that the glory of God fell on the house. How many of you know that when worship is unified, God's glory can be made known? Let me, make it, let me say that one more time. When, worship, when people come together, When people come together and join their hearts together in agreement, and one heart joins with the other heart and saying, the Lord is good and his mercy endures forever, and there's a sound in your heart and it's unified with someone else, I'm telling you, God blesses that and releases his glory. And so the house was filled with the glory of God. Now, let me just say this. I started this to say in the the beginning of this message. Different churches believe different things. And some churches are very strong on discipleship. Some are very strong on outreach. Uh, some are, you know, all kinds of different uh, things that, they, that, that, they, that they churches do. But, you know, the Spirit-filled church believes that when we come together, 
the highest moment of us coming together is that the God of all glory, the omnipotent God, can reveal himself in our corporate worship setting. That God can step out like he did in the days of Moses. And God can step out like he did in the days of Solomon. And his glory can be so readily discernible that it becomes tangible like a cloud, right? That, that, and, and his presence can be so real. We could take away your eyesight, but in that moment you could still see him. Come on, we could, blo- we could clog your ears up and you could become deafened, but you could still hear his voice, right? And you could, you could, you could feel the presence of the living God in the house of God. Solomon, in that moment of time, when the glory was so pronounced, the preachers couldn't even preach. The worship team had to kind of reach a place where they couldn't continue to sound because the glory of God was so pronounced in the house of God. And after some time, Solomon, they began to pray. It was a prophetic prayer. It was, it was prophesying and praying simultaneously. It was a prayer of dedication. I didn't take you into it. You can read it on your own. But when Solomon concluded his praying, he's not in the holy place, but he's in the court area. He's outside of the laver. That when he began, As he's beginning to pray and it concludes his prayer, the Bible says that fire came down out of heaven and fell on the sacrifice. And when the people saw the fire fall down out of heaven, God validating who he was by the fire of God, that then once again they fall before the Lord and they begin to worship the Lord and the second time the glory of God fills the house. It's a, it's, it's a monumental moment in the history of Israel. God's glory is in the house of God. God's chosen to tabernacle or dwell amongst his people. Access points have now been created for the people of Israel to gain some measure of revelation of the glory of God. I didn't give these scripture texts, but later in the text, if we were to continue reading in chapter 5 and chapter 6 and chapter 7 and even into chapter number 8, is that as the, after the glory, if you will, will maybe have settled, then the Bible says that the, the king then, it says, I, I, I wrote the word then, the author writes then, then the king, then the people offer sacrifice. Then the priests begin to wait on their offices. Then the Levites begin to go back to work. And in chapter 8, verse number 14, the Bible says that Solomon then appoints the order of David his father to the courses of the priests to their service and the Levites to their charges. And the worship continues day by day, week by week, special service to special service. It's pronounced to the people of Israel that the God of all glory would reveal himself to his people. That God wasn't just a foreign deity off in the cosmos somewhere, but he chose to tabernacle among his people. And so that's how it took place during the Old Covenant. And the children of Israel had a lot of apostasy, and the temple was neglected, and you've heard us talk about that many times. But now we live in a generation of the New Covenant, and yet the people of God, we don't have one certain location. We don't all have to fly to Israel to go to the Temple Mount to experience the presence of God. But when David writes in Psalm 122, I was glad when they said, let us go up into the house of the Lord. He said, when the tribes go up, so no matter where you are, that as long as you've got a fellowship that you 
are united in heart too. As long as you have a people who are like-minded and you can knit your heart together in love with them. And if you will appoint a day and you will appoint a set time and a set place. And if you will consecrate your service to God. And if you will come out in a spirit of expectation. And you'll come out and stop at the, and you'll first go to the brazen labor. And there you'll offer sacrifice to God. And then you move there, or, or not the brazen labor, but the brazen altar. And then you'll move to the brazen labor and you'll wash and you'll be clean before God. I want you to know that God will still make his presence known to his people. I believe that with all of my heart. I believe that in the midst of the body of Christ, the highest pursuit of the church should be the presence of the living God. That's our highest. I love getting to know people. I love fellowshipping with you. I love hearing about your story, knowing where you've been and where you're going. But I'm telling you, my highest pursuit from the day that, from the time that I get up in the morning and make my journey down the mountain to this valley right here is that when we come together in a collective moment of worship, that God in his, all of his glory, God will give us just a little glimpse. Like Moses of old when God said to Moses, I will hide you in the cleft of the rock so I will make my glory known to you so that you can see my presence when it passes by because I want you to know you will be forever changed if you can get in the presence of God you if you get the glory of God upon your life I'm telling you you will walk differently you will talk differently you will act differently and you will react to others differently because of the glory of God that's being made known in your life the release of God's glory is not necessarily dependent upon the labors of people. God is sovereign. But let me remind you today just real quickly that in that original text, while the glory of God was manifested, it was, it was the end result of men, women coming together adding their labor to create an environment for the presence of God. Let me say it one more time. I only got two amens and one was, you know, let me say it one more time. So let's look at it this way. While the glory was manifested or just prior to it being manifested, there was a doorkeeper keeping the door. There was a gatekeeper keeping the gate. There was somebody starting to flay animals for the sacrifice. There was a worship team that had spent hours getting their sound just right to bring their talent into unity, unison, so that when they began to play, it wouldn't be all over the map. Come on. And so they, they put all, there were teachers that had filled their heart with the Word of God so they could share the Word. I want you to know today, it takes people doing what they've been called or appointed to do in order for a culture or an atmosphere to be created for God to move. And I told you last week, and I'll say again, I think we've arrived at the place where we're taking God's worship a little too nonchalant. And I'm going to say it respectfully. That's why I'm a little bit anti on some of the contemporary church. I know, the contem I know we went so far with the church with dress up and everything and suit and tie and all that stuff, and I understand. But we've also so watered it down in our generation where it's almost like you're at the beach or you're at a polo match or at the gymnasium. And no, no, there comes a moment in your life that say, I'm coming to the house of God. He is great. He's greatly to be praised. I want my heart right. I want my attire right. I want my spirit to be filled with the presence of God so that when I relate to others, I will also first relate to him. Come on, somebody. 
Because I've checked my spirit in the presence of God. Because he's great. And he deserves our very, very best. Come on, somebody. I was praying this morning, and I said, God, I said, as I'm preaching these things, don't let me be a hypocrite. I've got to change some areas of my own life. I've been, I've been pastoring for 27 years now, and so I've got to arrive at a place where I say, you know what, I've got to sharpen myself in other areas. I can't, I can't have a, a heart that's only half warm towards the call of God. I believe every believer should be doing that. Every believer should be saying, God, I stir up the gift of God that's on the inside of me. I don't want to live with the flame just barely lit. I want to live with the flame burning brightly in my heart and my spirit. I want to walk out of the presence of God like Moses and not even know it, but my face is a shining with the glory of God, with the presence of God and the anointing of God upon our life. The worship order and design that we read about in the Word of God is actually pretty simple. First, it was consecration. Consecration is such an overlooked thing in today's culture. We got so, we became so legalistic in the church for so long that when we started trying to correct it, we moved the pendulum to the other side. And it doesn't belong over there either. I know that consecration is not about measuring your shirt length, right? Your shirt sleeve length or, the, or a lady's hair and things of that nature or the color of your attire. I understand that. But I'm telling you what, there's also a place where he says, I ought not look like the world, talk like the world, or sound like the world. Come on, somebody but that I'm distinct from the world, called out. Consecrated means you've been set apart for the glory of God. And I believe that if the people of God of our generation could just know that you've been called of God and separated for His holy purposes, you would live your life differently. Then you're not worried about creeds. Are you out there today? You're not necessarily worried about membership qualifications and things of that because it's not what man puts on a piece of paper that's going to change you, but it's about the power of the Spirit of God that's on the inside of you revealing His Son in you. Come on, and He so stirred your heart. He's holy. I'm telling you, whenever I'm in the presence of God, the first thing I'm confronted with is how unholy I am of how carnal my mind is. I live a life that's separate from a lot of things that me, me even in this church family, that if you followed my life, you would, see, think, you would say, Pastor Brown doesn't do what, I, what just common folk do. But at the same time, the first time thing I, when I'm in his presence, I feel unholy. I'm like Uzzah in that moment, King Uzzah, that I just like, oh God, I'm just a, I, I, I dwell in the midst of an unclean people. I'm a man of unclean lips and my heart and my thought and my imaginations and all of that because he is holy. He is holy. He's a holy God. Jay said it last week. The angels of the Lord say, holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty. Then who are we? When we come into his presence, we should be in awe of his holy presence. And it should move us to be and to live a life that's pleasing to Him in every area of our life. Consecration is a part of it. The order for the ancient Israel was sacrifice and praise. It included labor. It included giving of tithes and offerings. It included prayer. Come on, somebody. I love that text of Scripture about prayer, the power of God. The power of God fell when Solomon was praying. There was worship in the house. And then the Word. 
It's just a simplistic pursuit of God. So if, if you're new to our church family, well, what we're at is a season in our church family when three or so weeks ago, the Lord quickened in my heart, I believe, anyhow, as the pastor, is to put some things back. Put some things back in this church that have historically been a part of who we were, but we, were, we have drifted away from some of it. And I felt the Lord urging me in my spirit to just say, let's put it back. And I made this statement a few weeks ago. And I said, you know, I'm not trying to be uh, critical of other churches, but we're just not a life group church. We're not a church where we can pattern your, your motorcycle club or your baking club or your bridge club or anything like that. We're a church that says we believe in the house of God. That we believe in the power of a corporate worship service. We believe that when we come to the house of God, anything can happen. Because when God's glory gets manifest, we, who knows what can happen? I'm telling you, the blind can see. Come on, somebody. Lame can be made to walk. God, people that have been hurt and wounded from sexual abuse can be healed by the power of God. In Jesus' name, people that have been evil and mean-spirited, when they sit in the presence of Almighty God, everything can change inside of them, and they can walk out sweet and kind and loving because of the glory of Almighty God. That's who we are as a fellowship. And so we've got to value the time that God gives us. We want to value our time of unified worship when we lift up a song unto God. Did you know when we were singing today and singing last week, worship today and worship typically, the unified worship of the fellowship is still the singular most accessible means to usher in the glory of God. Do y'all know what I mean by that? Can I talk to you about that for just a moment? Man, I'm telling you what, churches get all twisted up sometimes when they start talking about worship and styles of worship and different things. And churches can get all twisted up and get at odds with one another, and in doing so, we're missing the heart of God here somewhere along the way. And the, the, the reality is, is it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter about a style of worship. It does not matter. It doesn't matter about a song selection. What matters is the heart being knit together and unified in expressing our hearts to God. Now, the words do matter. We want to make sure that we're not singing unbelief. Right, But we're singing praise and declaration to who God is and giving him glory. But if we as a fellowship could just begin. Remember, what's the title of the message today? Consecrated service. You know what could change the trajectory of worship services? You know what could change the trajectory of it? If people, that be you, would set your hearts on God prior to walking through those doors. If you would begin to consecrate yourself, if you would begin, I know y'all think I'm silly and I tell you personal things about me that, that I shouldn't. Sister Sherry cringes on the front row, like with those little, you know how when you get nervous and you get those little feelings that feel like needles inside, that kind of thing. So she knows, and I go, she goes like, where can this go? How can this go? How can this end well? I know she thinks. But I tell you a little bit too much sometimes, but I tell you about taking a bath every Sunday morning. Not a shower. We're in a generation nobody takes a bath, especially 54-year-old men. But I take a bath every Sunday morning because it's as the cleansing pool for the priest before he went to serve the tabernacle or the temple. I do it symbolically. I do it to say, God, I want to wash away the filth of the flesh. So that I can, when I come to the house of God, there's a sense of consecration. I'm identifying with the practices of ancient Israel. 
I'm drawing from the root and the fatness of the tree. And so then I set aside some time, and I love to greet people and stand at the door. And I had someone come in today and say, so you're the pastor and the greeter. And I said, absolutely, because I love to be able to shake people's hands. But prior to that, I want to get alone somewhere and try to be empty of everything that the world has put in me all week. So that when I come here and the moment and the first chord is struck, I can go right into the presence of God. I don't have to spend the first 15 minutes of worship emptying out of all the things that I need to be emptied out of. But I've consecrated myself before God and I can enter his gates with thanksgiving and I can enter his courts with praise. And I can bless his name and sing praise to his name. And I say that to you only as a pastor and a leader to almost like Paul when Paul said this. Paul said Follow me as I follow Christ. And I can already tell some of the men, so there's no way I'm going to take a bath every Sunday morning. That's all right. We'll hose you down with the water hose as you're coming into church. It's not about the motion. It's about the intent of the heart. That's where it comes to, church family. Consecrated service before God. It's quiet in here today, but it's right. I want to encourage you also to not devalue prayer at the altar. I want to encourage you today, church family, there's power in prayer at the altar. We open the altars at every Sunday service, before, during worship, after service, you come whatever. The altar is yours to pray. I can't force it upon you. I can't pray for you. I can't pray with you. But I want you to know you can say, Pastor, I, don't, I didn't just feel it in that song. That's fine. Don't worry about it in that song. Solomon may have not felt it in that song, but he felt it when he called upon the name of the Lord in prayer. And the fire of God fell. And then what I wanted you to see, before, during, and after the service, the courses of the priests and the Levites continue, building up until the next time. The tribes of the Lord go up. When service is over, we got to go right back to work. Come on, somebody. Are you hearing me today? So I'm going to close here in just a moment of time, and I'm going to bring you forward, and I'm going to give you an opportunity to do something with me. So I want to I tell you this today. Church can be far more than what it is. Right? Church can be good, but it can be, as Dr. Brassfield said, more better. Right? Every time you come together, you can carry the hope of his willingness to manifest his glory in our midst. Some churches don't believe that, but we believe that every time we come together, we carry the hope of his willingness to manifest his glory in our midst. But it takes the combined faith and efforts of many to create the environment for the glory of God. What happened in 2 Chronicles would have not have taken place without the text in 1 Chronicles. Because what one generation does often empowers the next generation. So it began first with the restoration of the ark. Then it began with David's desire to build the house. It was his willingness to prepare even though he was not allowed to build. David had a vision for the people that included his present generation and the one to come. I'm going to read you a verse of scripture. I didn't give that to them, but I want to read it to you. First Chronicles 28 and 8 says this, that you may possess this good land. This is what David was saying in his sermon to the people of Israel. And leave an inheritance for your children. And leave an inheritance. I believe that as parents, spiritual parents and also just paternal parents, that when we come to the house of God, we should have the mindset that what I do is going to affect the generation to come. You get, we want to get tears flowing in my eyes. There's nothing that unlocks it within me when I see men especially leading their families in worship and teaching their children how to, how to be a worshiper in the house of God. 
to, to, to not only be concerned about who we are, but to be concerned about the generation that is to come. God inspired David with a pattern for the house of the Lord that included the courses for the Levites, rotational service, labor in the kingdom. In the days ahead, not today, but in the days ahead, we're going to be coming to some of you and say, we need your help. you got to help us. You know why it's quiet in here today right now? It's because it was a cloudy day, number one. Number two, I'm going to say this very, very respectfully. Because we have people in the nursery right now taking care of many of your children. So that you can learn and be moved in your worship without wrestling. And don't think I'm criticizing in any capacity. Me and Sherry have six children. And we know the challenge of that, right? Coming to the house of the Lord. But somebody labors for you. I think we should celebrate them. I think we should celebrate them every time we come together. But I also want to say this. I think we also should alleviate the stress that's upon them by more people volunteering. Somebody lock the doors right now. By more people say, Pastor, this is like, what are you doing? Are you preaching or recruiting? Both. I'm doing both because the, the end product is we want the glory of God. But we won't have the glory of God if the Levites and the priests don't consecrate themselves and come to the house of God and serve the Lord. Right? And David had a revelation by the Spirit of God that if we'll do it by rotation, you know what we'll avoid? We'll avoid spiritual burnout. We'll avoid that moment where Martha got so agitated because Mary just sat and heard the word and she wouldn't help her serve. We'll avoid that because everybody will see their service to God. No matter what you do, let me know there are no menial tasks in the kingdom of God. Corey Tinboom says that if it's a small task, if you're a faithful in a small task, then that makes it great in the eyes of God. And that's where we have to be in our, in our call to God and say it doesn't matter. It does not matter. I'll do whatever you give me the opportunity to do because I want to honor God because he's a great and awesome God. And the church family said, amen. So David issued a charge. This is where I'm closing. Pastoral message today. Very little evangelism attached to it. Pastor's heart. Verse 1. It was of Second Chronicles, excuse me, First Chronicles 29. Listen to it. To all the congregation. Isn't it better when everybody participates? Isn't it better when we all add our agreement and we do something for God's glory? And then in verse 5, and I took it a little bit out of its context here because the context is probably giving financially. But the, right, the, 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 the translation in the King James just set the context for me. Who is willing to consecrate his service this day unto the Lord? Man, that's powerful, isn't it? Where the Lord just, David, just spoke to the congregation and he said, you know, man, everybody can talk a good talk. Who's willing? Who's willing to just say, man, I'm, I'm here. Joe, you need me in ICM? I'm here. Aaron and Chelsea, you need me in Kid Church? I'm here. Come on, somebody. Nobody's saying amen when the preacher's preaching right today, Right? You need me in Sunday school, Jace? I'm here. I'm here. Call me. I'll help. Here's a sign-up. Whatever it is. But it really starts with the heart saying, God, I want to consecrate myself to your service. 
if the pastor who's been preaching now for almost 40 years, preached at 16 for the very first time and turned 54 on Monday. I know it's very surprising to some of you. That's fine. I understand that. 40 years of pastoring, if I am laying my heart on the altar and saying, God, I want to consecrate myself for the glory of God, then how much for you? I think that we should share this moment, and it shouldn't just be a select few. Daryl's joining me on the platform today. I knew when I came here today it would be very pastoral. If you're a visitor here today, you may be like, man, I heard Pastor Brown preach like a wild man. He's very calm here today. I was, and I am. But I want more for our church. I want you to experience the glory of God. I want your children to experience the glory of God. I want his presence on this house. How many believe that? Did you know if we attend service every time that the doors are open when we put it all back, on the week that we have a Sunday night service, you'd, you would give seven hours out of 168 hours to the service of the Lord, to the house of the Lord. Everybody's not, typically not there. Some make some service, some their work schedules. We've never been a church that criticizes people because of their work schedules. Because you've got to work and take care of your family. Come on, somebody. Amen. But at the same time, how many of you know that if we would shift our priorities and put the kingdom of God first... I'm telling you, we would see his blessing just flow in so many other areas of our life. Church can be more than what it is. We should all long for the manifested glory of God. The manifested glory of God. Shane, why don't you and the worship team come back? Let's do that today. Let's do that. Let's just let's put the burden on them to lead us in a song. Our heads are bowed and eyes closed for a moment of time. Consecrated service. You're here today. You love God. You love the Lord. But do you have consecrated service? Do you forego doing some things so that you can do something else for the glory of God? That's consecrated service. Do you forgo hanging out with this group of people so that you can serve God in a certain area that's consecrated service? Do you avoid watching certain programs on television or whatever means in today's modern way of well, people, media? Do you, do you kind of shun away from that so that you can have you won't, be, you won't have all that in your mind and in your heart as you worship God. That's consecrated service. That's you saying, God, I want more of your presence in my life. Let me tell you real quickly, as our heads are bowed, we're just thinking and pondering in the presence of God. I've spoke to you about corporate worship. I spoke to you about the house of God the house of God today is symbolic. This building here, 1009 West Searcy Street, this sanctuary 100 foot wide by about 80 foot deep, that's really not the house of God. Your heart 
is the house of God. It starts with you. And then when we come together, we become the house of God. So consecrated service doesn't start in this 8,000 square foot room. It starts in your heart right there. When you just begin to say, God, I want to consecrate my service to you. I want to consecrate my life. I want to consecrate who I am. I want to consecrate my calling. I want to be different. I want your anointing on my life. I want your presence in my life. How many know the presence of God is not limited to this building? Come on, I'm telling you, you can, be a, you can take a walk this afternoon and the glory of God fall on you right there and you fall on your knees and you sob like Peter did long years ago because of the presence of God on your heart and your life. The glory of God. But there's still something precious about when we come together. When we come together. I want to ask you today in the name of Jesus. I'm going to give you an opportunity to stand in a moment and to worship with us. But I want to ask, I want to begin right here. It's a simple question. Who here can just, you feel God doing something in your heart? Calling you, calling you for more. Calling you for more. You just feel him. I, you know, I, I lack the education to say it the way I feel him in my heart at times. And so I just have to explain it with my own personal, you know, vernacular, if you will, to where I just say, you know, I just feel him. I just feel him. I just feel him pulling at me, tugging at me. I feel God leading me. I just feel him saying, Lee, come this way. You've been there too long. Let's go here. There's more. There's more. There's more. Is there anybody here under the sound of my voice that would quickly just identify with Pastor Brown for a moment by slipping your hand up? Hands are going up all over you. You're feeling God. You're feeling God. It's not us forcing it on you. It's not an exhortation like Joe that when he gave you, telling you what he believes God. He didn't force anything on you. This is just you. Wasn't Jace telling you about how excited he is about Sunday school? No, it's just you. This is not about Pastor Brown's message, putting coercion and manipulation on you. Uh, but, but no, it's God. And you just feel God saying to you, come on, I'm, I want you to consecrate yourself. I want you to move forward. I want, you to, I, want, I want to draw you to my presence. If that's you today, quickly, if you would, go ahead and come forward. Start the movement. You start the movement today and just be a worshiper. Just be a worshiper today. Just be a worshiper. You're, by moving forward to the front, you're just coming to say, I'm just going to stand in the presence of God for a few moments. And we're going to consecrate our houses. We're going to consecrate ourselves to the Lord. Maybe, maybe your family needs a rededication. Maybe you need a rededication. Maybe you would say, Pastor Brown, you know, I remember a time in my life I was so on fire for God. You know what? Don't remember a time when you were. How about make it today? Be on fire for God again in Jesus' name. The flame can burn again. The fire can fall on you again. The glory of God can come into your life fresh and new in the name of Jesus today. Hallelujah. I'm just waiting. I wait in the presence of the Lord in Jesus' name. Spirit of God, who will be a worshiper in this house today? Who will be a worshiper? Who will be a worshiper? Even if you didn't come forward, you may have not came forward for various reasons because you say, well, the altar's already filled up. And Well, you know what? You can make where you're seated or standing an altar. 
But I want to encourage you today. Consecrate yourself to God. Consecrate your life. Let me, let me tell you, church, if you've got sin in your life, lay it aside. Come on. Lay it aside. Say, Pastor, is it that easy? It's that easy. Lord, forgive me in Jesus' name. I ask you to wash me and cleanse me and give me the power and the grace to overcome every day. Come on. It's just that. Say, Pastor, is it just, that's where it starts. I'm not saying the battle to resist is that easy, but you got to start in repentance. You start with a ready heart, and then you move to a ready mind, and then you move to action. But it starts with saying, God, in my heart, here I am. I consecrate my service to you. I feel the Lord in here today. I feel Jesus in here today because I don't feel the hyped-up church. I feel the Spirit of God just wooing people. Consecrated service. Consecrate your service to me. That's the Lord talking to you. He's been saying that to me. Consecrate your service. Consecrate your calling. Don't drift. Don't go this far. Don't go through the motions. Don't preach without the anointing. Don't try to love people without the gift of God. Don't try to do the things that I've called you to do without the flame of, your pres- of my presence on your life. You can have it. You can have the glory of God. You can have His presence upon you in Jesus' name. You can be a light bearer. You can be a truth bearer. You can carry the presence of God upon your life in Jesus' name. Father, today I'm going to go out and amongst the church family, and I'm going to put anointing oil on the heads of those that have come forward. But Father, in Jesus' name, I I set aside our church family. Have your way among us. Have your way. Let the glory of God be in us, Lord. Let the glory of God be upon us. Father, have your way and your liberty and your freedom, God to move. Let our church be all that you've called us to be. So that when we have compassion, as was mentioned earlier this morning, and when we invite people to this house, and when people decide, you know what, that old ball-headed coach and now, and, and and pastor, that guy, he's invited me to church, I'm going. I don't know nothing about, and they come into this building, we want them to be confronted with the presence of the living God. You're at work, and you're at, the, you're at, you're at a, a factory, and you've got every day it's hot there, and you take a break, and at break time, you've been thinking about inviting somebody to church, and you go ahead and tell them, and you tell your buddy, and, and he's been working on the line with you, and he gets up, finally one Sunday morning, he says, you know what, I'm going to go. They've been telling me to go, and I, I, I found out they don't handle snakes down there. They actually crush snakes down there. Come on, somebody. And, and, and they decide to come with you, and they come to this house. We're going to pray that the moment they walk through the doors, they're going to be confronted with the presence of the living God, where the living Christ and His glory is going to be so prevalent among us that they will say, God is in this house, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. But you know what, church family? It starts with consecrated service. If you're still at your seat, I want to ask you for a few moments, if you're able. Shane, the worship team is going to lead us in song. If you can stand as you worship, I encourage you to do If not, be seated. I'll stay seated at times as I worship. Nobody's judging you, but I want you to feel like you're a participant. I do say that. I want you to feel like if you entered his gates with thanksgiving to come into this house, then before you leave, why don't you make sure that you're blessing his name and you're worshiping as you consecrate yourself to the Lord. Shane, let's worship the Lord today.